Hi, it's Maria here and welcome to episode 13 of Talking with Painters, where Australian painters talk about their lives and art. When I started this podcast uh, about six months ago, I thought 30 minutes should be the maximum length of each episode and that slowly crept up to 40 minutes. But that still meant leaving out some interesting parts of the conversation. So I thought I'd get together a few clips from those interviews which didn't make it into the original episodes. And it's a mixture of ideas on painting, uh, life experiences and childhood memories. Some of those clips refer to paintings and those works are on the website talkingwithpainters.com. My first guest was Francis Jarko. He studied architecture before becoming an artist and I asked him whether that helped his painting in any way. Look, studying architecture, I always used to think it was a waste of time apart from meeting Brian Dunlop, but, you know, so often I think there's so many things that I did learn that come back to you later on. Mm. And, you know, I did learn a lot about geometry and the, the, the formal elements of design and the principles of design. Um, and I think a lot of those things that you think are a waste of time are actually what make you. Well, exactly. You know, it's yeah. just... It's, um, yeah. But I do have a lot that, I mean, that architectural, it's, it's, it's geometry. Now, there's a tradition of art which is very, um, where geometry is really quite important. And it's important in everything because, you know, even in a lot of abstract painting, you can always sort of break it up into a golden mean or insert. So I studied geometry in art for quite a while. Mm-hmm. Um, I just found that you could get the worst painting in the world and impose the golden mean on it and it would still work, you know. <laughs> yeah, so it was right. a bit of. It, you fit, fit I it think we do the... it. I think we do it intuitively. Yeah. You know, if you intuitively have a good design, then the geometry will fit in. Mm. My next guest was Catherine Hattam. When we were talking about the start of her career, we got sidetracked when she mentioned that she lost all her early drawings when her house was destroyed in the 1983 Ash Wednesday bushfires. This is a clip of her remembering that day. Were you at, at the house yeah. when it happened? Yeah, yeah. And you Didn't had to I... just leave without anything, without uh, taking... What ha- like, yes, but we were... I was there at the house. Jim had gone down to... It's very different from what would happen now because it was a really bad day. Everyone knew it was a bad day. But he went to the office. The two... Will went to kindergarten. Charlie went to school. And so... When, which now they don't do. Like, every, you know, you send children out. You don't do any of that. And it's... and. Um, Jim came back at lunchtime because he realised it was a bad day and we were sitting on this beautiful veranda looking out and we could see that it was getting like red, like dark and then we each one would go back in and just check the radio and I went back in, there was no radio, no power and then we thought we would go and it was also time to pick up uh, them from school and yeah, we, we so we were there, we went the wrong way we went down through the botanical gardens, asked there was someone kind of telling you where to go and I said where should we go and they said there's fire everywhere go where you like it was like it was terrifying oh and you had to get to the school what is yeah we got to the wrong place we only picked up someone took them to hospital then we got to the kindergarten rather than the school got to the school they had hoses on it oh it was oh and then Jim dropped us and he and we went to the library and people were coming there running from their houses like that had exploded and then Jim went to go back up to the house and couldn't get back up and everyone's house up that road went and they were like big with walls like this they were bought, built in you know they'd been there for a hundred and something years and so, so you, it was a yeah so you didn't take anything with you no oh 
No, she we didn't. Because that's catastrophic. Yeah, well, just it was mm. you just lots of people died. I mean, really, a lot of people because yeah, yeah, they yeah. they went up to this help. Is 83, their, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, they went up to help their parents or things, and the fire wind changed it to three thirty-eight or something. Wind changed, and they were burnt to death. So we were really lucky. Episode three was my conversation with Louise Hearman. We were talking about how many of her works were untitled, and then we got on to the subject of names. But some, like some people are born with these insanely good names. Like well, when I flew up, for some reason I got bumped up to an aisle row. I didn't ask for a, you know, um, exit row. Oh yeah. And I was there was this intensely handsome young man on the window seat, and guess what his name was? What? Kurt Gentle. And I said, no way. <laughs> your parent, that's, a, that's your stage name, right? Because he was a musician and he was going to Oregon to meet his wife and I said, you're going to be famous no matter what happens with that name. Because of the name. Yeah, Kurt Gentle. That's excellent. Don't you feel like you already know Was him? he born with that? He was born with that name. Incredible. Isn't that insane? Yeah, yeah it is insane. George Rufdopoulos was my fourth guest. He spent a period of time in New York with his young family and it was really interesting to hear his views on his time there. So what was your experience of that? Um, Did you have a studio there? Funny enough, I never worked there. Mm. I never worked there. I would draw there. Um, I always found it too difficult. And you know what? I never liked it. Mm. Um, I couldn't wait for the weekends. It was like I was working a nine-to-five job Monday to Friday and I couldn't wait for the weekend to get in the car and just drive and get out of there. Mm. It was forever, you know. And Can you two put children. your finger on what it was? When you say, did you think it was that idea that it was sterile environment? Yeah. yeah. It was that? Yeah. So you weren't getting any inspiration or...? No. Mm. I kind of felt that um, I probably would have been best served um, possibly in Europe because I think Europe essentially understands the idea of pushing pain around, i.e. Berlin or, you know, I think Athens would be a great place to be now. My next guest was Abdul Abdullah and we got on to talking about his photographic works and in this clip he gives some interesting background information on one of his works from his 2014 show. I found with your photography that it's more confronting. Yeah. Than, than the painting. The painting is a much more lyrical sort of um, effect. Even these ones of the new of the Solomon Prize, they're still much softer. Like yeah, they are. Mm. Yeah. Um, and if I painted like the photographs that I've done, if I did a painting exactly like that, it just wouldn't be the same. No, that's right. That's what I was thinking. Yeah. Like that. That um, there's a photograph in particular, um, a work called "You See Monsters" from yeah. Siege in yeah. 2014, yeah. and that's. You in would you call it traditional Muslim sort of attire? Or? Yeah, so that's my jalabaya. Um, so that's my outfit. You know, if I like go to a mosque, and I don't often go to the mosque, but like if I do, I'd wear that. Right. Mm. Okay. And so you're dressed in that in that attire and with but with an ape mask. Yeah, on. the mask is from Planet of the Apes. Yeah. When you say it's from, you mean it was actually used? That's that yeah, particular was a, mask was used in Planet of the Apes. It was a makeup tester for the Tim Burton Planet of the Apes from 2001. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. So it's probably the most expensive prop that I've got, <laughs> and I hope they don't sue me for using it. But I think it's I've got creative <laughs> license to use it in the way that I have in a parody or something like that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's very effective. Yeah. And I it's mean, photographs really well. Yeah. There it is up there on the shelf. Oh, yeah, right. I'll grab it. I haven't got my glasses on. 
doesn't look nearly as scary in real life. Oh, it's like rubbery. Yeah. And how did you get it? On, uh, online. Online. Yeah, online. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it certainly was powerful in the photo because it, yeah. it made you look so... Makes you look terrifying. Terrifying, <laughs> yeah, yeah, frightening. Yeah. And it's sort of... And is that sort of like you saying, this is what you think of me? Yeah. So there's, it's pretty... It's almost an accusation of the audience is when they, they, they look at Muslim people or they look at vilified, marginalised people like that or migrant communities, they see monsters. Yeah, yeah. I then interviewed Joanna Braithwaite and we were talking about all the different species of animals she's painted and the challenge of painting them. And I then went on to ask uh, whether there was a particular animal that she enjoyed painting more than any other. Probably the one that I'm working on at the time. Yeah, right. I suppose because you get so into it. And well, you know, right. something like those lizards, they were so hard to get their skin and all the little patterns, so I had to sort of work out an abbreviated way of doing that. Um, I mean, obviously the dog is one that I go back to frequently, and because within the world of dogs there's so many different types of dogs, I enjoy painting them. But I quite like taking on board one... Um, with a different surface or skin or texture that I haven't done so that I've got the challenge of figuring out a way to paint it. All right, so that do you think sort of you like being uh, having something new, something oh, different? Oh, absolutely. Every yeah. time I do, like I usually seem to work in a series and every time I finish one, um, you know, the next project, whatever it is, it's, I, want, I have to have a new element. I spoke to Nick Stathopoulos about his childhood memories and in particular uh, about the sorts of things that he uh, created in the school holidays when he was a kid. So you would, uh, say on a weekend, you would I'd just... make things. I'd go out the back and I would reconstruct things. I'd build... Uh, during school holidays I would just build things. I'd build Martian cities or... Uh, <laughs> Spanish haciendas and uh, what you mean life size sort of well I would, well not obviously life size hacienda but a no no I, I remember one year they they became quite quite uh, in, involved um, I loved earthquakes and like I remember seeing really old films like um, the rains of Ranchapur which got remade as the rains came and there's this earthquake sequence in that so um, and. In 1974, you had earthquake, right? Yeah. So I would go out there. I remember I dug this pit and I filled it with combustible stuff and I put a piece of fibro over the top and meticulously made all of these buildings, right? So they were all constructed out of like and designed to just be destroyed, right? <laughs> and so these buildings were the, the pit would be set, yeah, no, they, they were made out of earth, compressed earth. Oh. So they crumbled the way they did in the movies, oh. right? And I remember setting the little pit underneath on fire so there was a slow combustion. And eventually the ground would crack away and the buildings would fall into this thing and the buildings would all be on fire. You could douse them with turps, right, so they would be smouldering on flame. You know, oh, my and God, that's and amazing. Then there'd be, there, there, you always had to end these these things with a tidal wave, with the, the dam breaking, right? Yeah, So yeah. the dam would break and there'd be this wave of water extinguishing it all. 
So you would set up this whole scene yeah, and then to, to act it. it out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And in those days, you didn't have an iPhone to record it either. No, I wish I, I, wish I did. <laughs> One year I built this Martian city and all the, all the buildings were covered in um, iron filings, so they rusted. And it just looked really sculptural and beautiful. Yeah. So you're very interested in... Um, Kind of drama. special effects. Oh, special the, effects. Yeah, yeah, I think it was a, a really early... Yeah, the drama of it. Mm. I loved watching these films where... And mainly they were science fiction films and fantasies. Mm. But I, I, I loved the special effects side of it. Um, mm. they, they always fascinated me. And I knew I wasn't watching reality, so it was kind of safe. Mm. And I, I knew people weren't really, weren't really being killed in these things. So mm. this, the fact that... It seemed innocuous. You could have these, you know, scenes of mass destruction, but people weren't being killed. And I think that mm. that was that was the joy of a special effects film. Mm. My interview with John Bockor also covered a lot of ground. We were talking about mixing colours, and he also gives a, a bit of advice which he um, got from Ada Tomescu when he was studying at the National Art School. I found that you can you can mix so many wonderful colours just by experimenting. You know, I mix those two colours that I wouldn't normally mix together. You know, and you look at it and actually, that's an amazing. That would be an amazing green for you know gum tree foliage or something. You're like, yeah, that really would be. It's a pity I'm painting a still life scene at the moment. <laughs> I must say, I'm, I'm using that. those. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Do you, you take notes when you're mixing colours to no. remember? Or no? Look, I have in the past, but my whole life is kind of scraps of paper with things written on it in my <laughs> pocket or in the front of my backpack. And, you know, it's, you know, yeah. I, I like an important phone number or something will be just on a scrap of paper. So anything like that, if I'm writing down colour notes or something, it will end up, and have some paint on it and it'll fall over and I'll put it in the bin and, you know. <laughs> that is the best thing that um, Ada Tomescu ever taught us in second year was when you're painting and it's starting to go all right and you're starting to get kind of excited about the painting, it has possibilities, oh, this is, you know, there's something going on here it just needs me to uh, fix up what's happening down there on the right-hand corner or I just need to change the colour of that. She said, don't do it. Stop. Because that has all the energy and all the life that you're ever going to have in it because it's giving you something. So all these marks that you make onto it from now on, you're just killing that off a little bit. And it's an interesting yeah. experiment, okay, that if you do a painting or you do a drawing and it gets to that point where you go, oh, this is actually doing something, yeah. it's, it's all right, yeah. stop it and leave it. Turn it to the wall and leave it for a week or two weeks or, you know, a while and then turn it back. And I almost guarantee you that all those bits that annoy you aren't so bad anymore. And sometimes even they're the bits you're kind of enjoying. When I met Lucy Cullerton, she showed me around her property and I met her many animals. I knew that a lot of those animals were rescued and I asked her if she could tell me a bit about that. You, on many occasions you've rescued animals in distress. Uh, is that 
because you can't turn away or is I, I usually get a phone call I don't look for animals uh, people they seem to find me so I get a phone call saying oh Lucy um so and so's got a calf that you know the mother's just died can you take another potty how can I say no I think oh I've got so much work to do okay I'll go and get her and in comes Pushy next cow <laughs> and would she live in the house at all at the beginning? Her or? first night was in the house because she was um, uh, not very strong and and was cold. So, to, yeah, first night was in the lounge room near the fire. Um, but then we set up a little shed with straw and she was shedded each night. To yeah Right. And you had sheep. Because I remember in one of your paintings, Goodworm, uh, yes, I think. Yes, on your seat was <laughs> a lamb. Right. A lamb was sitting yeah, on his seat. Yeah. Was yeah. Um, and did they live in that? Uh, did... Uh, they, yes, the yes, house? lambs do. Um, for uh, lambs are fantastic. They um, follow you everywhere. They're very cute, especially when they're little. Mm-hmm. Um, and I put nappies on them. I don't think I painted the nappies in those paintings. Oh, right, but when they're sense. inside, they wear nappies because you can't house train a sheep. Oh right. <laughs> and they do love. They love climbing on things. So they were forever on your couch. Oh, were they? And did you give them names? Yeah, that was um, Map and Marvel. Those two sheep. I then interviewed Susan O'Doherty and we were talking about uh, the importance of encouragement when practising art as a child and that led on to this conversation. Did you, were you encouraged no, at school? No, I wasn't encouraged to be an artist because I, didn't, because I failed at everything. I didn't have confidence. Mm. And mm. I think it's very easy to fail somebody in the arts. Mm. You know, I'm not a great fan of, of art prizes. Mm. Because I believe that how can someone judge an art prize independently and correctly of what someone is trying to say in their work? Mm. You yeah. see, you could have mm. ten different uh, judges. You'd have ten different shows. Yeah, that's right. So it's not always about the work. Mm. Or we, and you don't know the direction someone's going in or what they're trying to say with their work. Mm. Yeah, I suppose because it's limited to like a page or an artist statement as to what they're doing for that particular work and then that's about... Yeah, and there's always other agendas going on. What's mm. come before, what's... You know, it's, it's just building up a body of work and making work and having a point to what you're trying to say, mm. I mm. think, is, is very important. Mm. I enjoyed talking to Ewan McLeod about the different landscapes he'd painted in and what it was like going to so many different places. But he also has been on quite a few trips with groups of artists and I asked him what that was like. And what's it like um, painting with a lot of other people? Was there one of the groups that you went with, there were ten of you, is that right? Yes, I've been on a lot of trips with with, um, large groups of people and I really like it actually. Um, Everybody tends to go off and do their own thing. Sometimes you'll, you know, you paint in the same area as a couple of other people, but pretty much everyone's in their own, in their own head doing their own thing, and um, it's a shared experience, so you can talk about it later. Yeah, um, I, pres- I presume you sort of compare it, like, well, not compare, you look at each other's work. Actually, there's a lot of people that you never see what they do. Okay. They they're very private about it and they hide it away. Uh, other people are a bit more open about it, but generally people. There's not a lot of that show-and-tell stuff goes on. Um, and, and with the Gallipoli exhibition, I was, um, yeah, I was really keen to see what people had done because I didn't know either. Oh, really? Um, no, oh, okay. no. Oh. You'd see little bits and pieces, but not a lot of it. All oh, right. So after after the day's over, you just get together and have dinner together and all that sort yeah. of thing. Yeah, 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 yeah. And, and I think people, 
might share experiences of, of you know, um, I don't know, there's a lot of flies, isn't there, or something like that. I'm not sure. But, you know, yeah. you don't normally say, you know, or oh, what colour are you using yeah, to get right. that, that colour up there? Or Because everybody, what everyone's doing is so different. They're all yeah. approaching it in such a different way. Um, right. You're kind of interested in what other people are doing, but generally you're more interested in what you're doing. And yeah, I suppose at the end of the day, right. you shove them away, and that's it. Yeah, it's not like a sort of um, a, a, an art class. No, not at all. No, it's not working. at all. With students, that's right. All the students that do it very, very much want to show their work to everybody else and get feedback. And mm. um, and, and but that's a different thing. That's about looking to think how you might approach these things and looking for different ways of approaching it whereas we're all pretty much got our way we're going to approach it and um you might be fairly overwhelmed by how you're going to do it yeah um but you're not really expecting other people to tell you you know yeah, right. um, my most recent guest was Juliet Holmes Accord. You might already know this, but for this clip you need this background knowledge that as a general rule, it's not a good idea to paint acrylic over oil-based paints, basically because there's a pretty good risk that it's going to peel off. In this clip, I asked Juliet to comment on her view that sometimes it's necessary to let the painting go where it wants to go. And she told me this story of what happened to an oil painting she'd been working on. I had a, a painting that I did a huge sweep of colour on. Oh, that's right. I thought I was putting oil onto my painting. And I did this huge sweep of colour. And it turned out that it was uh, acrylic enamel. And I just grabbed this huge painting and I took it out to the garden and sprayed it with the hose and rubbed this paint off. A lot of the paint wouldn't come off. And I then had to pick kids up from school or whatever. And so when I came home, it had dried and it looked absolutely fantastic. And I have tried mm. often to mimic that look. And in various ways I've been successful, but it, it looked absolutely wonderful. And it was, ended up hanging in the Mossman Prize and then it was purchased by um, Mossman Council, so it's now in the government coffers. Oh. Um, and it was this paint painting that I'd sprayed with a hose. Um, so you've got to be open to those surprises. Mm -hmm. And then other times you've got to be quiet enough in yourself. You've got to spend a lot of time looking at that painting. If you don't know where that painting is going to next, sit down on the other side of the room and look at the painting. And wait till the painting tells you. Or another time I get a big bit of paper and cover up the section that I think's not working and wait till I can imagine what is there. So mm. I wait until I just mm. look at the painting and imagine what would look good there and then go and do it. Vroom. Yeah. So there was this other artist I knew and she said, look long, paint fast. And mm. I think that is fantastic. Because often we go dab, dab, dab when we don't know what we're doing. Mm. And it's far better to just put your brush down and go away from it. I've had a really enjoyable six months getting the last 12 episodes to you and look forward to bringing you more in 2017 after a bit of a break. 
I'll be back in the second half of January with some more conversations with great Australian painters. So until then, keep safe and thanks for listening.